0: Today, we're going to start with a little bit of a thought experiment. Imagine that you were in a church that the Apostle Paul himself had founded. Maybe it's been 10 years ago, and he came to your town. He preached the gospel. The Lord opened your eyes to see the truth, hear the truth, know the truth, love the truth. You became a follower of Jesus, and then Paul did what he normally did. He, he went off somewhere else to plant another church, And it's been a while, it's been 10 years, and now he's writing a letter to you, and he says to you, and and the other Christians there in your city, this is what I have been praying for you. What would you want him to pray? What would you hope that the apostle, this special servant of the Lord Jesus, would be praying and asking the Lord on your behalf? We're going to talk about that today because we're going to see what the Apostle prayed for a church in that exact situation in Philippi. So welcome, everyone. Good morning, Karen and Keith and Jenny and uh, James watching from South Africa. Great to meet you. Glad you're with us. Martha, glad you made it in easier than than previously. Excellent. And I'm sure there are some other folks out there. Uh, Feel free to chat and uh, ask questions, interact with one another. We're glad you're here. My name is Doug. And we gather here every morning at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time. So, James, what time is that there in South Africa? I'd be curious to know. Uh, We gather to study God's Word because we need to have our minds renewed. We need to grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we do it every day, Monday through Friday. And uh, we are glad that you are with us. Today's a good day. Today's a really, really good day. And I believe it, and you believe it, so we are going to declare this together, and if you brought coffee, which I always recommend for our Bible studies, then we are going to uh, drink together in honor of our Lord Jesus. So I'll say my part, you say your part, and then together we go. Ready? This is the day the Lord has made. Oh yeah, I think I heard you say, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's sip together and uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Ah, he is good. 432, all right, James says it's 4, 1632 is what he said, I'm assuming that means 432, and that would be uh, after our time here, so good, almost good evening to you, good afternoon, James. All right, so we're going to continue on with uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, let me just read those for you, and then uh, I will comment on them. So Here's what he said. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, So here we have in writing what Paul's priorities were in his praying for this church in Philippi. Remember, we looked at this in the opening uh, lesson uh, earlier this week. This was a church that Paul established about 10 years prior. He had been traveling uh, through on his second missionary journey, and he led this woman, Lydia, to the Lord, and then the Philippian jailer to the Lord. And that became the foundation of this church. And then he went off to other missions work. And here he is writing back to this congregation 10 years later. We don't know if he had any other interaction with them. We don't know exactly. Uh, you know, he probably stopped by uh, previous to this. That was his MO. But here he's writing to them and he wants to encourage them. And as part of that encouragement, he says, this is what I pray for you. It's not what we typically think of when we think of pastors and elders and church planters praying for their churches or what we pray for each other or even what we pray for ourselves. This could be a little bit convicting as we may see at the end, and it's very informative on the priorities that we should have in praying. So first of all, he says, I pray that your love may abound. You see that here? I pray that your love May abound still more and more. So, at the top of his his list of concerns for this church is that they they love more deeply, more passionately. But it's not simply a feeling, is it? Love it certainly involves the passions and desires and feelings. We we, we sort of put it as an emotion, but it, it's got to go beyond the emotion. And that's why he adds in real knowledge and discernment. So why do you suppose Paul's first concern in his prayer is that these people love? I'm going to give you a chance to see how you'll answer. If you'll just put in the chat here, put in the in the comments, what, what, uh, why do you think this is at the top of Paul's concern for the church? Why does he pray for this more than anything else? And I realize you're all on a little bit of a delay. I think it's about eight or 10 seconds. So uh, I'll just add a little filler material here for you as as you wait. You you probably know this. Uh, But why, of all the things he could be praying for them, you know, they may be suffering some some persecution uh, from the Jews. We'll certainly see some Jewish influence later on in this letter. Uh, They are former pagans. These people have come to the Lord from paganism. Uh, so why would he not have at the top of his list, um, uh, you know, something about setting aside their false idols? Uh, anybody anybody have a thought on why he chooses love as the first concern to uh, to pray for these folks? Well, I'm not seeing anything. I don't want to just sit here forever. And if they come in, I will acknowledge that you got it right. If you do, I'm sure you will. I believe it's because. The first priority in Jesus' mind. Oh, I see. I see a comment here. Let me uh, let me take a look and see what he said. Darren Day says, "Love is the more excellent way." It is indeed. First Corinthians thirteen, right? Edgar says, "Love is the greatest commandment." Bingo. That's exactly where I was going, and that's why Paul says to the Corinthians, "Love is the more excellent way," because it's the first and greatest commandment. Remember this. Our Lord taught us this. In uh, Matthew 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. Which is the great commandment in the law? So this is a Jewish lawyer who is asking Jesus this rabbi, what is the great commandment of the law? The the Old Testament is filled over 600 laws and then of course you have the sort of the top 10 list, right? You have the 10 commandments. It starts off with, have no other gods before me, and make no graven images, and on and on down the 10. And and so the lawyer may be a setup. This may be a trick question that he's trying to get Jesus to choose one so they can say, aha. Anyway, he asks the question, what's the great commandment? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you may recall that uh, in in another place, he actually, he has the word strength here as well, with all your strength. So love the Lord your God with your entire being, heart and soul, inner man, outer man, your mind, your thoughts, your actions, all of that. Love the Lord your God. And then he says, this is the great and foremost, or the great and first commandment, the highest priority. Notice he didn't just grab one from the Ten Commandments. He, he, he grabs this one. And then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's a hard, that, that's a loaded, a loaded command. <clears throat> How much do you love yourself? You love yourself a lot, right? I mean, think about all you do to make yourself comfortable, to make yourself feel good. We, we, we minimize our sins and maximize our strengths. Uh, we, we act on our behalf. That's just natural. All of you with children, you know how natural this is. We don't have to teach our kids to be selfish. You've never taught your child, when someone reaches for something you want, you grab it and you say, mine, right? We, we don't teach our children that. It's inherent. It's, it's instinctive. We are selfish people. We care about ourselves. And Jesus doesn't say, stop doing that. At least he doesn't say that directly here. What he says is, love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So all that work you do to care for you, now love your neighbor. That's the second greatest commandment, he says. So love the Lord and love your neighbor. Again, love is not an emotion. At least it doesn't stop with the emotions. It's not a it's not a feeling. He's not saying I want you to just have this this pitter-patter in your heart toward your neighbor or toward God where you just sit and think about God and think, "Oh, I just love him so so much." That's not what it's about. It's it has to transfer to action. Love is an active word. It's a verb, right? It, it, it is a, a pursuit of the good of others. And when it comes to loving the Lord, he tells us what that looks like. And it's not quite what we think sometimes. In, uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus, our Lord, makes this statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See that right here? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I always like to point out in this verse, he doesn't say, if you love me, you should keep my commandments. See the difference? He doesn't say, okay, show your love for me by keeping my commandments. Now, I think there's an element of uh, that's uh, insinuated here, but he's saying something a little bit different. If you truly love Jesus, the outflow of that love will naturally be you will obey him. You can't say you love the Lord and then disobey him. Well, you can. You can actually say you love the Lord and disobey him. But your profession that you love him, your statement that you love him isn't real. It's not true if you don't obey him. There's almost a sense in which this is the very definition of loving Jesus. You obey him. Now, are there people who, who obey the commandments, at least externally, who don't really love him in their heart? Probably. Uh, there are those who, through fear or through tradition or, or whatever, who, who keep um, who keep, you know, some of the rules and regulations who don't really love Jesus. So you can, you can externally and formally keep some of his commands. But of course, what he wants is from the heart. How many times does God rebuke Israel saying, you're doing all of these rituals and actions and all the things I quote, tell you to do, but it's not from your heart. Your hearts are far from me. No, it needs to be both. Our heart is engaged, but that must lead to obedience. That's what he says. If you love me, you will obey me. Well, the Apostle Paul knew this, of course. He, he knew the, the instruction of Jesus. And so that's why he says to this church here, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more. Think about that word abounding. It's growing and growing and increasing. Your love And then he adds this in real knowledge and discernment. You see that? So as we think, okay, I want to love Jesus more. How do we do that? How do we know what pleases him? We need real knowledge. It's the word knowledge in the Greek. And then he adds this pronoun, not pronoun, um, a prefix to it that intensifies it, this intense knowledge, this true knowledge, it could be uh, translated. There's a, there's a deep, profound knowledge here and discernment or the ability to to judge things. He wants our minds engaged as we think about uh, how to please him so that we can love him more. Now, do you realize how advan- how much of an advantage we have in our day compared to the Philippians. These Philippians, they heard the gospel, you know, 10 years prior to this. What they couldn't do is then pick up their phone and just download an app that has hundreds of translations of the Bible on it, right? They, they didn't have hard book Hardcover copies of the Bible to read. They didn't have softcover copies of the Bible. They didn't have a New American Standard and an NIV and ESV and on and on and on. They didn't have that. In fact, the the New Testament was still being written as Paul writes this. He's writing one of these letters, which becomes a letter in the New Testament. They had uh, very little access to the Old Testament, no doubt. Remember when Paul showed up to Philippi, he went to the synagogue or he tried to go to the synagogue. He wanted to go to the synagogue to Preach the gospel to the Jews, but there wasn't one in Philippi, which means there weren't 10 Jewish men in Philippi because that was what was required to have a synagogue. So without a synagogue, it was very unlikely they had copies of the Old Testament scriptures floating around. There wasn't a church in Philippi yet. So the other letters that, uh, that Paul had written and maybe some others, uh, James possibly, were um, And other New Testament uh, letters that were in existence at that point, they wouldn't have made it to Philippi. So the Philippians were at a significant disadvantage compared to us in their resources to learn what pleases God. You and I don't have any excuse, do we? We can read and read and we can study together online like we're doing right now. We have so many ways to learn what Jesus wants of us and how to please him and how to obey him. We need to do that. That's why we gather here. That's why we study. That's why we go to church and have elders and teachers uh, preach and teach to us so that we can grow in the real knowledge and discernment. Let me go back there. The real knowledge, the, the, the depth of knowledge of him and the discernment so that we can grow in our love. It's not just to fill our heads. Uh, Our brother quoted uh, from 1 Corinthians 13 a minute ago, right? Uh, Love is the more excellent way. Well, in that same letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So if we just stop at gaining knowledge, we're in danger of becoming prideful and arrogant and hurting others. But that knowledge that we gain, which we need to do, needs to lead to later a greater love for God and for others. And he adds further to his, uh, his desire for them, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. He wants us to grow in our knowledge and our love so that as we look at all that's happening around us, as we examine our lives, as we look at the temptations that bombard us, we can, we can approve, we can test and see which of these things would honor the Lord and which of these things would dishonor the Lord. That comes through increasing knowledge. That comes through studying his word, from seeking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the things that we think of that don't please the Lord. We're bombarded with temptations, and every day there's new opportunities to decide, is this pleasing to the Lord or not? And some of them are hard things. Some of them are Less hard things or easier things, but we still have to do that. Uh, you know, what are the things? What are some of the things that you that you ponder? What are some of the the questions you have in your mind? Of does this please the Lord or not? How do I decide these things? I, I don't want to just you know we're we're sort of sick of hearing at least I am of vaccines and and mandates and that kind of thing. But it's all over the place, right? It's it's all over. I'm sure it's down in South Africa where our brother is there and. Uh, we had a brother tune in the other day from, uh, uh, from uh, Northern Ireland, and I'm sure it's there. It's all over Europe and certainly here in the U.S. and also, all over the world. This, uh, there seems to be this movement to, from governments to take more control, and, and there, there's just all this um, back and forth about vaccines and mandates and COVID and all that. We need to learn. We need to discern. How do we please the Lord in this? And everybody has their opinion, well, we need to seek the Lord. We need to study the scriptures. Is there any guidance we can gain from that? Not, not that vaccines are in the scripture. That's not what I mean. But we have to discern what's going on and what the right response is to do that. And that's just one example. And, uh, and again, we're <laughs> maybe tired of hearing about that. But it's a big deal in, in the whole world right now. And then there's all kinds of other things as well that we need to think about. And then Paul says, Here's a further purpose, in order that you would be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, until these people in their lives and stand before the Lord Jesus. He says, I want you to keep growing in your love, in your knowledge, approving the things that are excellent so that you would be sincere and blameless. That's what he wants for them. That their, their devotion to the Lord is, is genuine, and that they overcome sin and overcome temptation more and more and more and more, having been filled, not just a little bit of it, but filled full with the fruit of righteousness. This produces fruit, that they're, they're this tree, and that tree will produce the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what he wants for these people. That's what he longs for with these people. So let me ask you, getting back to my opening question and statement, let me ask you, if the Apostle Paul had founded your church and he led you to the Lord, and then you learned later that he was praying for you, what would you most want him to pray? Let me ask it a different way. When you pray for yourself, when you pray for your loved ones, if you're married, when you pray for your spouse, if you pray for your kids, pray for your parents, your brothers and sisters, what do you pray for? Think back to yesterday over the weekend, maybe you gathered in small groups with your church. Uh, what were the top of the prayer lists for people? Uh, a church on Sunday, when um, maybe someone did a pastoral prayer, uh, maybe the, the pastor prayed for you, what'd they pray for? If we could rehearse the top 10 things you've prayed for the last week, what would make that list? It sure seems like we spend most of our time focused on things like health, right? Not, not just in COVID times either. Even before COVID, go to prayer meetings, go to small groups, and so much, you hear that so-and-so is sick, so-and-so is struggling, so-and-so is you know, going to see the doctor, and, and she's worried that she's got cancer, that kind of thing. Here's another pop quiz for you. Okay, and I want you to answer in the chat if you know this. Now, if you're if you've heard me teach on this, and that's the reason you know this, then then you don't get to answer. <laughs> but if you've not heard me teach on this, then I'd like to see if you can answer this question: Where in the New Testament are we commanded to pray for the sick? I'm not talking about elders. We know that James five says elders are to pray for the sick, but where are you? Just as average Christian commanded to pray for the sick, or where do we see examples in the New Testament of Christians praying for other Christians who are sick? If you know that answer, uh, put it in in the chat. Health seems to make the top of our list, or things like uh, job loss. You know, it's been a a serious time in the last year or so, and and it's always a a concern. Uh, Unemployment rates, those kinds of things. And so we pray for those. Uh, if your son or daughter is about to start school, you know, I've been in prayer meetings where somebody says, what, um, you know, would you pray for my son? He's, he's about to go to college and, uh, and just pray that he has a great time and uh, you know, maybe that he learned something, but that he really, you know, enjoys his, his time there or whatever. We, we pray for those kinds of things. And our prayers, I think, are pretty good indicators of what matters most to us. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? we we tend to pray for the things that are on the top of our concern list. What does it say about us if spiritual growth isn't at the top of our prayer list? What does it say about us if growing in love and the knowledge of the Lord to be holy and blameless? What does it say about us if that's not what we spend our time praying for, for ourselves and for others? Well, It might indicate that our priorities are kind of upside down, that we don't have the same priorities that Jesus does. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, you say, Our Father who is in heaven, please heal me from my cold. (laughs) Please help me get a better job. Please help me... Uh, Please help the the clock turn to five o'clock so I can go home. That's not what Jesus said, is it? No. He said, your first concern is that the the Father's name would be holy. Hallowed be thy name is the first prayer request in Jesus' prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not a command. That's not a declaration. That's a request. Make your name holy. The name of God, the name of Jesus, set it apart in my mind, Father. What's the next line? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Your kingdom, Father, come. What what do you mean by that, Jesus? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second priority in Jesus' prayer is that people on earth would do the will of the Father that they would obey him. Well, it's very similar. Jesus now becomes the Lord. Remember, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. We're to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So now the application of that prayer is, would the whole world do the will of Jesus? Would the whole world bow down and serve him and obey him? Which means we need to be praying for the whole world to do the will of Jesus. We need to pray for ourselves to do the will of Jesus. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ to obey Jesus. If you're a parent, when you pray for your kids, at the top of your prayer list should be that they would obey the Lord Jesus. Then he does say, the Lord says, give us today our daily bread. So we do get to ask for things that we need. I'm not suggesting that it's bad to pray for health. I'm not suggesting any of that but where is it in our priority list? Do we place it too high? Do we have those temporal concerns at at the beginning and then maybe get down to these other things? Now, I'm not seeing anybody responding to my question, where does the New Testament tell us to pray for the sick or give us an example of it? It's because there's really only one place and it's in a book that you probably hardly ever read. I'm going to make you go look it up. It's not in 1 John, but it's in either 2 John or 3 John. I'm going to let you find it, and then you can comment later and tell me you found it. It's the only place in the whole New Testament that either by command or example has a prayer for someone who is sick. It's the only place. You don't find it in Paul's writings. You don't find it in Peter. You don't find it in the Gospels. So again, I'm not suggesting for a minute that it's wrong to pray for the sick. We should pray for the sick and pray for for job situations and for sons going off to college and all that. Certainly, again, please don't hear me. I say I am not suggesting that we are to stop praying for those things. I'm saying to be more faithful to the Scripture and God's priorities that we elevate praying for obedience to Jesus and spiritual growth and holiness and righteousness and love for the lord and love for people to bring those to the top of our prayer list and then get to the temporal things uh, I see here that uh, that Nate Says, calling the elders to pray and anoint with oil. Yes, I mentioned that earlier. That is there, but that's for the elders. And I, I qualified. I wasn't asking uh, about the uh, instruction to the elders. I was saying, for you and me, Joe Christian, where do we see the example? And, and, and we don't. So, good answer. Oh, Darren found it. Darren found it. Let me pop this up here for you. 3 John 2. Yes. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And Carol Carol got it as well. Yeah, exactly. It's the only place in the whole New Testament where we're, we have by example. Now again, please hear me. I am not suggesting you're wrong for praying for people's health. Obviously, John did it, right? But I would, I would exhort you, encourage you, flip the priority. Pray for love. So at your next small group meeting, I bet it'll stand out. At your next small group meeting, as you're praying for those in the circle, right? That's what we do. We, <laughs> we get in a circle in the living room and we pray for one another. Pray this prayer from, from Philippians for your brothers and sisters there. Pray that their love would abound more and more in the true knowledge of Jesus. And they'd be able to discern how to obey him. So that they would be holy and blameless on the day of Christ. See if you can start a new pattern, a new trend. Make this your commitment in those gatherings that you're starting a new trend. Don't tell them this. Don't just say, "Hey, you know, this guy Doug on the internet told me." No, just just do it, and see what happens over time. If that becomes your habit, it'll more likely become the habit of others. And we know that God wants to answer this prayer because that's his greatest desire for us, that our love for him and our love for others would grow. And that comes out of greater knowledge of his will, which leads to more obedience, which leads to more glory and honor for his son, Jesus. And I challenge you with that. Change how you pray. Be more consistent with how Jesus wants us to pray. It's good. It's right. It's right. Any other questions, or comments, thoughts along the way before we wrap this up? Uh, yes, Nate, that, uh, you got in late. Well, I'm glad you glad you find your way here as well. Uh, prayers say a lot, you know. Most of us don't uh, don't pray as much as we think we should, and part of it is, I think, we don't always know what we are to pray. And, and this will help. Jenny here says. Love this challenge. If we make something a habit, it will become something that we do daily. Yes, for ourselves and for others. Parents, teach your children to pray this way. Uh, Let them grow up praying uh, with the spiritual priorities and the gospel priorities of Paul. All right, folks, we're going to call it a day. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus, and may it be a great day for you. God bless.